when I told Brent that I would be introducing him this afternoon, uh, he had one selfish, unselfish request. Uh, was that his introduction would be a short one, primarily because he wanted as much time as possible for tonight's lesson. Uh, that said, though, um, honestly, Brent is probably the least selfish person I've ever met in my life. Um, it's been a pleasure and an honor to say he's my father-in-law. Um, he's a wonderful man who has led an even more amazing family. Um, he's a man who's definitely passionate about God and his word, but the best part about him is that he is just as compassionate to the people around him. Uh, before preaching at Pravo Church of Christ, he was in Scenic Hills in Pensacola for about 10 and a half years, if I'm remembering that right. Um, and recently, and I use that term very loosely, he has been at Prattville for going on 20 years this January. Uh, Brent is a person who works very, very hard um, and never causes any attention to himself. But if you ask the families in that congregation, if you ask the families at Prattville, uh, it will, wouldn't be long before you find somebody who's been touched by him and by Lisa and the work that they've been doing there. So um, it's a pleasure to introduce him tonight. Um, if you don't mind, I'd love to go ahead and say a prayer on his behalf and uh, for our lesson this evening. So let's pray. Our Father, we just thank you so much for an opportunity to pause in the middle of the week uh, to focus on you. Uh, we've got so much on our, on our agendas, on our schedules, uh, so much weighing on us. Uh, but the fact that we have the liberty, uh, we have the opportunity to worship you, uh, we're just so grateful for that. Uh, we are uh, grateful that we have Brent here to open up the word with us and uh, to study it a little deeper, to, to learn about uh, the importance of being honest in a dishonest world. Uh, we ask that we're able to go ahead and focus on those words and be just aware of opportunities that we have to apply it. Uh, we, we've already been given opportunities. What we are asking for now is the wisdom to see those opportunities. Uh, bless everybody in this room. Uh, I do not know what's on their hearts or their minds this evening, but I do know you can take care of it. And I ask that you do as you see willingly. Uh, be with us as we study. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. I've never been introduced by my son-in-law before. That was really special. It really was. I am, I am touched and overwhelmed. And I appreciate this congregation for being good to my family. Okay, If they can't be with us at Prattville, next best thing is for them to be with you all here. And thank you for loving them. Thank you for encouraging them because to a dad that's Really, really important that his family be at a good congregation where they can grow and serve God and be faithful. Um, my older daughter, back in January, she and her family moved to Birmingham, and they are now with the Hoover congregation. And I had to tell, I had the opportunity to tell the Hoover congregation basically the same thing uh, a little earlier this summer. I spoke for their summer series, and it means a lot to know that 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 congregation, that good church up there, is taking good care of them and encouraging them. So that warms my heart about you, about the Hoover Church, because you love my family. You, you, if you've got kids, you know that. You understand that. When people love your kids, it makes you love them, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate the invitation to be with you folks tonight. Uh, Brother Doug was at the Prattville Church a little earlier this past summer and uh, did a great job. Didn't get to be there in person to hear him. I was speaking somewhere else that night, but I did listen to his message online. Outstanding message that he had. The topic that I've been given to share with you this evening for us to explore a little bit this evening is honesty in a dishonest world. Would it not be wonderful 
if everybody told the truth, if everybody did what they said they would do, if everybody represented their product that they were selling in the right way, and it turned out that same way, what if, wouldn't it be wonderful if you never had to wonder if someone was telling you the truth or if they were lying to you, if they were scamming you? We have to be aware of that constantly because we live in a dishonest world. From many of our politicians down to many of our own families, sometimes we see deceit. We see dishonesty. And it just makes life hard when you can't be sure if someone's telling you the truth. When you work with, especially in the benevolence department, the, the ministry of the church, and you take the requests from people who are, who are asking for help, you know that, that people can be dishonest. I remember when, and I've dealt with many of these, many stories I could tell you. One goes all the way back to when I was a youth minister back in Northport right outside Tuscaloosa. I was at the church building one day, and these two ladies come in. There was an older lady and a younger lady, and they were wanting gas for their car. Uh, because the older lady said, my daughter is really sick in the hospital in Boaz, Alabama, and we just really need to get there to see my sick daughter in the hospital. Well, it was not my call to make as who got help and who didn't. We had one of our elders that did that, so I uh, took him into the office, and our secretary got one of our elders on the phone, and, and I went somewhere else, but in just a, a minute or so later, I came. I passed by the office, and I'm hearing this lady on the phone, and she's talking to the elder, and she said, yeah, my sister is really sick in the hospital in Boaz, Alabama, and we really need to get up there to see her. Okay. It's all of a sudden a switch from daughter to sister. And I just decided, I'm going to walk outside and, and see who's in the car. And so I walked out to the car. There's three or four people in the car. And so I went to the window. They rolled it down. I said, hi, I'm Brent. I'm with the church here. And I said, I hear you guys are going on a trip. Just left it at that. And they kind of looked at one each other one way and the other. And one of them said, yeah, we had a death in the family up in Boaz, Alabama. And we're trying to get up there. Just kind of shook my head. Okay. So I went back in. These two ladies were coming back out. And I looked at them and I said, if you are going to lie to scam churches out of money, you at least need to get your story straight before you come in here because you can't decide whether it's your daughter or your sister that's in the hospital. People in the car think she's already dead. And she even tried to cover for that, too. So, oh, yeah, we did. Don't give me that. Let's just get out of here. People don't care about anybody. And that's frustrating. It's, it, it makes you angry. But it when it's a situation like that, somebody you don't know very well, it doesn't rock your world. But if it winds up being somebody that you know and that you trust or you think you know and you have chosen to trust and, and, and somebody especially that's supposed to be a Christian, a brother or sister in Christ or maybe even a church leader who is dishonest, and has lied to you, it hurts deeply. And that can rock your world. I'm going to share with you something tonight that is, is painful for me to share. I, a, a, a big part of my summers the last several years has been my work in the Philippines. I have loved that work. I've loved those people. 
And, and it is a great, great work over there. And then they're doing a wonderful job with it. And I love to be a part of it. Usually going during the summertime to do a medical um, um, evangelistic mission campaign where we help people with medical needs and make contacts and have Bible studies with people. And regularly, quite a number of people are baptized. Well, I believe it was the second year that I went over there. I met this young man who was a student in the preacher training school over there. Uh, and, and a very amazing young man. He was kind of quiet, a little bit shy when I first met him, a little bit reserved. Um, but he was showing a lot of promise in the school. And, uh, and, and, and I, I just kind of took up with this young man. And he just we, we kind of built a bond. And, and he was, it became very special to me. He was my translator that year as, as we worked. And uh, sometimes people know English. Sometimes, especially in the rural areas, they're not real proficient at English. So it's helpful to have a translator. He worked with me as my translator, and, and we were tight. And then the next year when I came, I wanted him to be my translator. And, and of course, we, we uh, kept up and, and chatted uh, uh, on, online, on Facebook, and, uh, and, and so I looked forward to being with him. And over the next few years, he would be my translator. Well, uh, what happens is when we have an evangelistic campaign and a new congregation is started in a town where there was not one before, one of the promising young men in the school that, that, uh, that seems especially capable is given the job of being the preacher for the new congregation. And, and they will travel from the school every Sunday and a lot of times on Saturdays to do evangelistic work. And, uh, and they chose him to be the preacher for one of the congregations that had, had gotten started. And I was so proud of him. But some things started happening and... And he began to let me know about some financial needs that existed among some of the people there. And, and, and it was not unbelievable stories at all because those people are very poor. And with the things that I'd seen, I see, yeah, I, I understand that. Boy, that's a, that's a tough situation. And Lisa and I helped from our own financial resources on several occasions. One time I asked the church, here, there's a need over in the Philippines. Can you think we can help that? Yes, yeah, sure, we can do that. Uh, is it somebody you trust? Yes, yeah, a young man that I trust. And I would send the money in appropriate ways, actually through the school over there. It would go through the, the hands of the fellow that was the, the president of the school. They, they trusted him as well. But the last couple of times he asked for some financial assistance, um, it just some things just didn't sound right. And the last time, it was his father who was very sick in the hospital. And if he didn't get some medicine, that he was going to die. And, um, and, and there is the situation over there in their hospitals. If you don't provide the funds up front, you don't get the treatment. That, that is the truth. And, uh, but there were just some things about it that I just don't think this is adding up. And so I communicated with some people over there. And, and, and I said, I, I think I need to, some of you guys to do some investigation for me. Check and see, here's what he's telling me. Well, a lot of things happened, but the bottom line came back. His father had been at a Bible study the night before that and was doing fine. There was nothing wrong with his father. That was totally fabricated. A couple of the needs were genuine needs, but they were exaggerated, and the, and the money that was needed was exaggerated, and he would give, them some, give the people some of it, but he would pocket the rest for himself. 
I confronted him about it. And even in the confrontation, when he was busted and there's no way he could deny what he had done, in that same conversation, he was still lying about other things. And I already knew that. I was hoping that he would show repentance and decide that, that, that he was... So, of course, he expressed, oh, I'm so terribly sorry. I can't believe I did that. Please forgive me. And he was still scamming me. That hurt bad. Because I trusted him. We had worked together in the kingdom. We had sat together with, with him teaching other people, us together teaching other people how to be saved and seeing people baptized. He would baptize the people. We Americans didn't do any baptizing. Let the, the, Filipino, the Filipino brethren do all that. Seeing him baptize people, hearing him preach. And he's being dishonest. Blatantly and premeditated lies. It, it's been hard for me not to let that be a cloud over my whole work in the Philippines because so much of my work has been with him and associated with him. Now, I imagine that as, as I've been telling that story, many of you have thought about things, situations where someone that you trusted, someone that you believed in, somebody that, that, that you thought cared about you, just lied, deceived you, and eventually it came out and it damaged that relationship, if not destroyed it. This is a dishonest world. And it seems to be getting more and more that way. It seems to be that maybe in years past that integrity was held up as something you actually did, maybe more than it is today. And, and fewer and fewer people somehow are being taught by their parents or taught in their Sunday school classes or taught by their preachers the importance of integrity. And even if they are, there are too many people just not doing it. It's something to talk about in church or to to say was an ideal from, from the past years where a man's word was his bond and, and you could seal a deal with a handshake. But it's not like this is the first time that it's gotten bad. It's, this is not the worst it's ever been. I'd like to take you to a passage from the Old Testament in the book of Jeremiah where during Jeremiah's time, which was a, a, an evil time, Jeremiah is a prophet to try to turn the nation of Judah back to serving God and doing the right thing and living according to the way God has called them to live. The people aren't listening. And Jeremiah's telling them that, that God's going to let you be destroyed. And eventually Babylon did come and destroy them. But this is one of the things that God sees when He looks at His people that are supposed to be the ones that have His law, that have His covenant, that are supposed to be like Him. Here's what he says, beginning with verse 3 of Jeremiah 9. And like their bow, they have bent their tongue for lies. They are not valiant for truth on the earth. 
For they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, says the Lord. Everyone take heed to his neighbor. Do not trust any brother, for every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk with slanderers. Everyone will deceive his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves to commit iniquity. Your dwelling place is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit, they refuse to know me, says the Lord. Twice in this passage, God says, they don't know me. Because if they knew me, they couldn't live like this. You cannot know God and fill your life with deceit. Why is that? Well, one of the main things I want us to understand tonight is that God is a God of truth. And God loves the truth because truth is a part of the nature of God. It's one of His basic character qualities. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 32, beginning with verse 3. Deuteronomy 32, beginning with verse 3. <clears throat> For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all His ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is He. God is a God of truth. Psalm 33 verses 4 and 5. Again we find these words. For the word of the Lord is right and all His work <clears throat> is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. You see, that, that's who God is. That's His very nature. And we see that when God became a man, that when God took on human form and came to this earth in the form of His Son, Jesus Christ, the Bible says that He came to reveal to us truth. In John chapter 1, and verse 14, John had started out talking about that Jesus had existed from eternity with the Father. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So we can see He is, he is God Himself. He has the same nature. But in verse 14, He identifies very clearly that He's talking about Jesus here when He says, And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. These are the two terms that, that John chooses to use specifically here when he's, he describes the glory of Jesus. He is expressing the glory of, of the Father because he's full of grace and Truth. You remember in John chapter 14 and verse 6, where Jesus told the, the disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Go to prepare a place for you. And of course, Thomas, he, <clears throat> he's so frustrated, he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, he said, the 
the you know the, the way to the place I'm going. Where, where I'm going, you know, and the way you know. Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? But Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus can be described as the truth. He is the truth. He is the embodiment of truth. In fact, when he was arrested and Pontius Pilate decided to have a private conversation with him because he's heard that, that he is accused of claiming to be the king of the Jews. And he calls him in and, and he's asking him, okay, are you king of the Jews? Well, did you hear this of, of others or did you come up with it yourself? I know your own people delivered me. What have you done? I'm, uh, yes, for this cause I was born. And he, but then he says in verse 37, Pilate therefore says, Are you a king then? Jesus answered, You rightly say that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Again, Jesus is the embodiment of the truth. His mission was to come and to tell us the truth, what really is real and right. And he even says, everybody who is of the truth listens to me. And Pilate kind of blew him off and just said, what is truth? As if you can't really know what the truth is. And I think at that point, he really didn't probably give Jesus a chance to answer. He walks away. But he knows that there's nothing that Jesus has, done, Jesus has done this worthy of death here. But Jesus makes it clear to Pontius Pilate, I'm here to tell the truth. Jesus in his prayer that he had prayed the night before, when he was praying for his apostles, in John 17 and verse 17, he says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is Truth. You see, we can know what Jesus said. We can know what Jesus taught. Through the words that have been inspired by the Holy Spirit, preserved for us. And not only the words in red, they're the words that Jesus said. And some people like to think that, that that's the only words that are important. Well, Jesus didn't write a single word of Scripture. He used inspired apostles, inspired men to do that. So every word of God is truth revealed from Jesus through the Holy Spirit of what God wants us to know. And isn't it wonderful to know in the midst of this world of lies where we have such a hard time with all the conflicting messages that are out there that we can't know if it's the truth as far as what God wants us to know about what life is all about and what it means to really live a good life and what's waiting for us, and where we came from, why we're here, where we're going, this tells us the truth. And everything you hear from preaching of other people, or from anybody, you need to put it through the filter of this truth. Because a lot of people say things that are simply not true. Where does lie come, uh, lying come from? Did you know that the father of lies has a name? And he's Satan. Satan himself is the father of lies. 
in John chapter 8, beginning with verse 44, Jesus has been talking about the truth and He's trying to tell people who don't believe what He's saying that He's there to tell them the truth. That you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. But then He says to them, because of their unbelief in John 8 verse 44, you are of your father the devil and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. You know, the very first time we see Satan introduced to us in the Scriptures, in the Garden of Eden, what is he doing? He's lying to Eve to try to convince her that what God said to do didn't make sense or that God didn't really mean what He was talking about and things would be much better if you do it this way, which is different from what God said. He's been lying from day one. You need to understand, brothers and sisters, that you are never more like Satan than when you're lying. And that's why God hates lies. He is truth. He loves truth. He hates lies. And the devil is his enemy because he is a liar. I want us to remind ourselves, brothers and sisters, how serious lying is. Because we've been talking about lying. All those bad people out there lie to us. And we look in our own lives and our own hearts and our own actions and our own words. And we need to look at ourselves and the lies that we may have told. Or times when we are tempted to believe the lies of Satan that if I tell something that's not true, it's going to be better for me. It's going to work out better. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to face consequences. It really doesn't matter that much. I'll just adjust the facts a little bit. I'm here to remind us tonight how serious God is about the truth and how much He despises lies. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 22. Listen to these words. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are His delight. Now that word abomination is a strong word. It's reserved for some pretty big things in the eyes of God. Now sometimes we talk about things that are an abomination unto God and we think about things like homosexual activity and people who sin in that way against God and, and it is an abomination in the sight of God. But somehow when we're in a situation where we feel the need to adjust the truth, somehow we think that's not that big of a deal. No, no, no. It is a really, really big deal. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But on the other hand, one who uses his lips to tell the truth, that makes God happy. God delights in the truth. Another passage from Proverbs, I'm sure you're familiar with this one, from Proverbs chapter 6, beginning with verse 16. It says, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to Him. There's that word again. A proud look, a lying tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood, 
a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. You see, lying in a couple of different forms shows up on the list twice of things that God hates and they're an abomination unto Him. The Bible tells us that God can't lie. In, in Titus 1 verse 2, Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18, both let us know that it is impossible for God to lie. God who cannot lie because of the nature of God. So, something that is so against His nature, He despises. And, and one who lives this way and who walks in darkness in lies in this way, cannot be able to have fellowship with God and live with Him for eternity. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8, this is a scary, scary and disturbing statement about what happens at the end to those who live lives that are opposite to what God wants us to live. He says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. God makes clear what the ultimate result and the ultimate end of a life of lying is going to be. A person who continues in that habit and in that way can't go to heaven and be with God. And we think sometimes of the wrath of God as being something as a part of the Old Testament. But you look at the early church. God gave a couple of people the sentence of capital punishment in the church. Christians in the church. In Acts chapter 5, we find in the, at the end of the previous chapter that the church is just doing great things. They are doing what Jesus taught them to do and they're sharing their material possessions with other people, even to the point of selling things that they had to provide for the needs of the needy people. And we're told that Barnabas sold a piece of land and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And people were doing what Jesus told them to do and how awesome that was. And that brought people closer together and, and, and then the church grew stronger because they were doing these things. But there was a married couple that wanted to get in on this but they wanted to misrepresent the way they were doing it. Ananias and Sapphira are their names. A certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now the implication from the rest of the story, strong implication we have to assume, is that he said, I bought a piece of land and I'm given the money for that land that he's making it very clear that he's giving all of it, like Barnabas did with his. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Notice Satan's involvement here. He probably didn't even think about Satan being involved in this process at all. But he was. Because when he and Sapphira were considering what they were about to do and the lie that they were about to tell, whether they realized it or not, 
Satan was involved in that. Satan had filled their hearts to do this. Satan had filled their hearts to lie. And to lie to the Holy Spirit of all things. Again, they didn't see it that way. They probably never thought that way. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't a sin for them to keep back part of it for themselves. And he goes on to explain this. He says, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? You didn't have to give all of it. You could have, it was, it was voluntary. You choose whatever you want to give for yourself. But you just can't lie about it and say something that's not the case. And then he goes on to say, Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. You know what happened to him. He fell dead at the apostles' feet. So folks took him out and buried him. His wife had not heard about this. She comes in. Peter asks her about the, the, the deal with the, the land and the price, and she lied too. Same thing happened to her. Does that, do we forget about this sometimes? Do we forget what a big deal that, that the Lord made about this? It's not Old Testament stuff. This is in the early church. And the, the church learned a lesson that God really is serious about people telling the truth. A lot of people lie about money. A lot of people will tell half-truths and tell themselves they're not really lying because some of it is true. Some people will lie to try to look better in front of church people. Some people will lie about the good works that they have done. Or even if there's some seed of truth to it, they'll exaggerate it and make it sound like it's a whole lot bigger deal than what it really is. Folks, God's pretty serious about that. He doesn't like that at all. That comes from Satan and not from God. But here's the deal. The more you love God, the more you love truth and hate lies. And so if you feel like you're struggling in your life, and you, if you're honest with yourself, now you can lie to yourself, and that's the worst thing to do is to lie to yourself. But if you're honest with yourself and you tell yourself the truth and you realize I do lie sometimes. Then you need to realize that the cure for that, if you want to stop that, you start loving God more. Because the more you think that God is awesome and wonderful, the more you're going to want to be like Him. And the more you learn about God, the more you're going to see God is truth. And he hates lies. I don't want to be like the devil. I want to be like my beautiful, awesome God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 15, Peter writes these words to Christians. He says, But as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And part of God's holiness is He is truth. If we're God's children, we want to be like our Father. And we're going to despise the things in our lives that are not like Him. And we're going to hate it when we do it. And we're going to hate it so much that we're going to do what it takes to change that. We're going to stop doing that. 
We're going to be more and more like Jesus. We see in the life of Jesus, as we said, He was the embodiment of truth. And when we're followers of Jesus, we're going to, as we go along in our Christian life, as we grow, we're going to look more and more like Jesus. And Jesus is truth. You remember what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. He says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see, what you want to see when you look in your spiritual mirror is more and more of Jesus. And to do that, you're a person who loves truth and hates lies. You remember when we talked about what, what John wrote, that, that the, word became, uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory? What is the glory of Jesus? He says, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So when we see ourselves more like Jesus, we will see more truth. And the more and more we become like Him, is the more and more it's just going to be against our nature because our nature is being shaped to being more and more like Him. Now, how does that look in this dishonest world? In a practical way. You see, the world is watching us to see if what we, what we say we believe really makes a difference in our lives. And when it doesn't, they say, that's garbage. And this is one of the areas. It starts at home. You need to tell your spouse the truth. So many marriage relationships have been hurt and even destroyed because of dishonesty and lies. But what a treasure to be able to know that, that your spouse never has to wonder if you're telling them the truth because you consistently tell the truth. Now, if you have lied and if you have been dishonest, you can gain that trust back, but it takes a long time of consistently telling the truth. You're not going to lie just to avoid conflict. Because sometimes when we tell the truth, we will have some conflict consequences from that. But that's so much better than the consequences of being dishonest. How about your children? You say, well, I, my kids are small. They, they, I can get away with lying to them in any way, shape, or form. Well, they're going to get older, and they're going to be able to see, and they're going to know when you tell the truth and when you lie, at least on some occasions. And if, if they see in you that, that you'll bend the truth, whether it's to them or to their mother or to others, people that you do business with or whatever, they're going to learn what integrity is all about from you. And they're going to learn that what the Sunday school teacher says in church or what the preacher preaches from the pulpit and what really happens at home, they're two different things. One doesn't really affect the other. In social relationships, with co-workers... When you're truthful, you create a more positive working environment because you're not going to lie to avoid embarrassment or consequences. And when you're 20 minutes late for work and you know it's because you slept 20 minutes late and you got a 20 minutes late start, then you just you may think about saying, well, the traffic was bad. No, that's not why I'm late. You're going to tell the truth at work. With your Christian, your Christian brothers and sisters, you're going to create a culture that's different from the world and you won't lie just to make yourself look better or more holy or like Ananias and Sapphira did. On social media, 
You're not going to share something on Facebook that you don't know is true, even though it promotes your political agenda or makes somebody look bad that you disagree with. That happens all the time. I remember one time getting a, a, a forwarded picture of the Seattle Seahawks burning an American flag in their locker room. It was photoshopped. It never happened. I, I see that's that's probably photoshopped. I checked and no, it's not real. I, I, I contacted the person that, that forwarded that or shared that. I said that's not real. That's not right. Well, I thought, thought it was. Well, you didn't check it out. But you know what he did not do? He did not post a retraction on his Facebook page. He deleted it, but he didn't post the retraction. He didn't go back and, and try to undo the damage that he had done. He wasn't serious enough about the truth. You won't post something on Facebook that's misrepresented just to get some admiration or to get attention that you know is not really what you're saying and the way you're representing it in business. You represent your product or your service in an honest way. You don't lie just to make a sale. And people will know that you can be trusted. And you'll gain the reputation of knowing this person is not going to scam you. They're not going to lie to you. They're not going to cheat you. And people will know that because that's getting more rare in this world. You won't lie for your boss or falsify documents. You won't change figures on your expense report that you turn in. You won't inflate or reduce figures on your tax return to avoid paying what you rightfully owe. You'll be honest even when it hurts or it costs you a lot of money. Sometimes it costs to be honest. But there's something in your life that's more important than saving the money that you might save in the short term if you're not honest. The world is watching. We need to show them what God is like through our truthfulness. Because you see, honesty is an act of faith. An act of faith in which we trust God that being like Him and obeying His commandment to tell the truth will be better than whatever immediate result that we might want to get from being dishonest. You see, we trust God enough to believe that His way is right. Even right now, I don't think it will work out well for me to tell the truth. I don't think this is going to end well if I tell the truth. Do you trust the voice inside you that's telling you to do what Satan wants you to do? Or do you trust your Almighty God who is truth? Let's just believe. Let's just trust God. And let's be people of truth. And for some of us, that may mean making some changes tonight. Be honest with God and be honest with yourself.